السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن وله قال رب شحل صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل الأقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم زدنا علما After praising and thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we pass salutations upon Muhammad ibn Abdullah salawatullahi wa salamuhu alayhi. Peace and salutations upon his family, upon his friends, and upon all those who try to emulate him until the end of time. Alhamdulillah, thumma alhamdulillah. We cannot thank and we cannot praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as he ought to be praised and to be thanked. And even the ability to thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. And this week, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala, we will be looking at the illustrious companion of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abu Ubaida ibn al-Jarrah. And a question that arises, a question that comes up is why was Abu Ubaida Ibn al-Jarrah, part of the ten that were promised Jannah. Was it due to having a lot of money? Was it due because he was extremely influential in society? Or was it something else that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted him? And as we move on with the sea tonight's talk, we will unpack and we will look at the life of Abu Ubaida ibn al-Jarrah radiyallahu So his name and his lineage. He is Amir ibn Abdullah, ibn al-Jarrah, ibn Hilal, ibn Uhayb, ibn Tabba, ibn al-Harith, ibn Fihr, ibn Malik, ibn al-Nadr, ibn Kinana, al-Qurashi, al-Fihri, Abu Ubaida. So his lineage meets with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam at Fihr. His mother is Umayma bint Ghanam ibn Jabir ibn Abdul Uzza ibn Amira ibn Umayra. Her mother was Da'd bint Hilal ibn Uhayb ibn Dabba ibn Harith al-Fihr. And like Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhu, like Abu Huraira radiyallahu an and others, Abu Ubaida, this is what he was famously known as. He was known as Abu Ubaida. But his name was Amir ibn Abdullah. Abu Ubaida al-Jarrah. This was his, that was his name, Amir. As for Abu Ubaida, this was his kunya, his agnum, and he was famously known for this. And this brings us to the next point, his agnum. He is Sayyidina Amir ibn Abdullah ibn al-Jarrah, who was given the agnum Abu Ubaida. And this was what he was famously known as. Like we have Abu Bakr, like we have Abu Huraira. Abu Ubaida himself, his name was Amir. But he was famously known and by this title of Abu Ubaida and if you were to speak to people that today's time to many Muslims they would not know 
that his name was Amir. And this is why we tend to focus a bit. We spend about two or three minutes looking at the lineage for various reasons. But one of it is to know what their real names were because many of them were known by, for example, Khalid ibn Walid. But many knows him as Saifullah as well. And like this, many of the other companions of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, they were known either by their nicknames, they were known by their agnomens. And maybe not knowing their proper name. And like I've mentioned previously, knowing the names of the companions of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, two things can happen. Number one, our love increases for them and this is what we should strive for. And number two, when we have offspring and we are looking for names, then we maybe name them after the companions of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah shower his blessings upon all of them. His description. Ibn Sa'd reports in Al-Tabaqat with the Sanad of Malik Ibn Yukhamir who described Abu Ubaidah as the following by saying that he was a small or afwan, he was a slim tall man. He was a slim tall man with a thin face, a sparsely beard, he had a bit of a hunch and he had no front teeth and the last part of the description he had no front teeth we will explain later on what happened to his front teeth where did they disappear to was he born and his teeth he never grew or what actually happened we will look at this a bit later now we would like to look at his household his wives and his children and this week the with regards to the wives and the children of abu ubaida it is very short compared to the other weeks. He had two sons, Yazid and Umair, from his wife, Hind, bin Jabir ibn Wahb, ibn Dabab ibn Hujair ibn Abd, ibn Ma'is ibn Amir ibn Luay. And both his sons passed away in, during their infancy and he had no progeny after this. As Zubair ibn Bakkal, he mentioned and he said that Abu Ubaidah, as well as all his brother's progenies, had died out. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he gives offspring to whomsoever he wills. Some of them he gives females only, some he gives males only, some he gives males and females, and to others he does not give any offspring and this is in the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant what is best to each and every married couple so now we want to look at glimpses of his life and traits of his greatness let us look at who Abu Ubaidah was what did he achieve? What type of person? Was he someone that was rich? Was he someone that never had money? Did he have a lot of social influence? We need to know this. So Abu Ubaidah was known as the honest, the rightly guided, active, 
he was an ascetic he was trustworthy as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as we will see a bit later the trustworthy individual of this ummah he was loving even to foreign believers and he was stern even to the closest of polytheists what is meant here is that when Islam spread Islam went to different regions to different countries because of this kalima of la ilaha illallah this bond of the kalima this ukhuwa we find that Abu Ubaidah he loved them and when it came to the kuffar when it came to the mushrikun when it came to the polytheists he was stern against them even if they were close to him meaning they were relatives like his father as we will see a bit later he was extremely steadfast and he was content with the little provisions until the time came for him to depart this dunya and this should be something that we should strive for if we have in this dunya alhamdulillah if Allah has granted you hadha min fadlillah this is from the bounties of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but use this fadl you need to use this bounty bounty that Allah has given you in the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it is no use that we hoard money and mashallah we have a beautiful palace we have beautiful cars nothing wrong with having this but when it comes to community causes when it comes to masajid when it comes to Islamic institutes then we we feel that no, if I'm going to give so much money, I'm not going to see the benefit. Yes, you might not see this benefit on the dunya. But definitely, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he mentions in various ahadith, that definitely spending in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you will see the rewards on the day of Qiyamah. So never feel shy. Never feel that you are going to lose out when you spend your money in the way, in the path of Allah Azza wa Abu Ubaidah's embracing of Islam. Abu Ubaidah, he recognized that Islam was the deen. As Allah says, Islam, That the deen by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Islam. And he accepted Islam at the hands of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the house of Al-Arqam ibn Abi Al-Arqam and this is close to the mataf or at the mataf in Makkatul Mukarramah Ibn Sa'ad narrates in his tabaqat from Yazid ibn Rumman who said that Ibn Maz'un Ubaida ibn al-Harith, Abdurrahman ibn Awf, Abu Salama ibn al-Asad, Abu Ubaida ibn Jarrah, they came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He presented Islam to them and he informed them of its injunction, subhanallah. Imagine, have you ever thought about this? That we read the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and we read his seerah, we read his ahadith on a daily basis. And sometimes it brings tears to our eyes to see what a great man this was. We love Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, but yet we have not seen him. Imagine these companions. 
They embrace Islam at the hands of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He teaches them the shahada that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah. That I am the final messenger of Allah. He teaches them maybe how to pray. He teaches them how to make wudu. He teaches them the injunctions of Ramadan, of Hajj, etc. Ya Rabbana. This is what Islam teaches us. This is what the message of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa is supposed to be to us. That yes, we read about him, we honor him. That is only one side of our love. But the other side of the love is that we go out and we call people to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We warn people if they are doing things that are wrong. Al-amr bil-ma'roof wa nahi anil munkar. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas, ta'muruna bil-ma'roofi wa tanhawna anil munkari wa tu'minuna billah. This is who Muslims are. This is our deen. This is our Islam. That kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas. That you were taken out of mankind. You are the best of nations taken out of mankind. You enjoin what is good. And you forbid what is evil. Wa tu'minuna billah. And you believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the Islam that we know. We don't have this apologetic Islam. This Islam of, you know, that we shy to be Muslim. We shy to show our Islam. We shy to make salah. This is not the Islam that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about in the Quran. This is not the Islam that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught us. So when they embraced Islam at the hands of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, this was of the best days of their lives. And also, if we look at Abu Ubaidah, he was one of those who made hijrah to Abyssinia, as Ibn Ishaq makes mention. Imam al-Dhahabi, he says that if he traveled there, he did not stay there for long. So there's a bit of a dispute amongst the ulama of history, yani ulama of tarikh, that did he go to Abyssinia or didn't he go to Abyssinia? Ibn Ishaq they assert that he went. Imam al-Dhahabi, he says, yes, he did go, but he went for a very short time if he had gone. So Imam al-Dhahabi is still a bit doubtful whether he went or whether he did not go. And Allah knows best. Abu Ubaidah radiallahu anhu is also counted amongst those who compiled the Quran. And we discussed this in the time of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu and again in the time of Uthman radiyallahu an, where the Mus'haf was compiled. And in the time of Uthman radiyallahu an, it was sent to various countries with Qurra, with reciters of the book of Allah Azza wa Jal. Ibn Sa'd, he says that Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah based Islam with Uthman ibn Ma'zun with Abdul Rahman ibn Auf and the Comrades before the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam entered the house of Al-Arqam. They say that he migrated to Abyssinia in the second immigration. So there were two immigrations or two migrations. First one and the second one and they say that Abu Ubaidah went with the second one. Asim ibn Umar ibn Qatada he mentions that Abu Ubaidah ibn Al-Jarrah he immigrated from Mecca to Medina and he stayed by Kulthum ibn 
Al-Hadam's residence. And after Abu Ubaidah, this is another report, made hijrah, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he contracted brotherhood between him and Salim radiyallahu anhu was the free slave of Abu Hudayfa, may Allah be pleased with all of them, and it is said with Muhammad ibn Maslama. And my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, I would like to point out, or let us look, point in the direction of a verse in Surah Al-Hashr. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He speaks about the companions, and this is a quality that we should adopt as well. وَالَّذِينَ تَبَوَّأُوا الدَّارَ وَالْإِيمَانِ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ يُحِبُّونَ مَنْ هَاجَرَ إِلَيْهِمْ وَلَا يَجِدُونَ فِي صُدُورِهِمْ حَاجَةً مِمَّا أُوتُوا وَيُؤْثِرُونَ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ وَلَوْ كَانَ بِهِمْ خَصَاصَةً وَمَنْ يُوْقَ شُحَّ نَفْسِهِ فَأُولَئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ الله سبحانه وتعالى يسيز أن أند فوذوز who before them they had homes in Medina, meaning the Muhajirun. So they had homes in Medina. And they adopted the faith. They became Muslim. They were Muslim. They love those who immigrate to them. And they have no jealousy in their breast for that which they have been given from yani, the booty of Bani. So yeah, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, as, as for those who before them they had homes in Medina, referring to the, Muhajir, to the Muhajirun. And they were Muslim, they adopted the faith. Now he's speaking about also about those who were in Makkah, that they loved those who immigrated to them. The Ansar, they loved the Muhajirun. And the Ansar, they had no jealousy in their breasts, meaning they were not hasad. And here the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he informs us about jealousy, about being hasad. He says, do not be hasad, do not show jealousy, for indeed jealousy, it eats on your good deeds like how the fire eats on hood. Subhanallah. And this is a sickness. This is something that we find on a daily basis in our communities. That someone else, he has something beautiful, he has a beautiful house, a beautiful car, beautiful children, and you find someone, he has something to comment. Someone has a particular skill. Maybe you in the same field. And you don't have the exact same skill as that person. Now we start to pass comments and this. We start to become jealous. Never fall into this trap. This is a trap of shaitan. And look at the companions of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The brotherhood and the love that they had for one another. And Allah then says, And give them that they gave preference over themselves. Even though they were in need of that. They gave preference. Imagine that. You only earn a certain amount of money. 
You can't afford things. But someone is less fortunate than you and he comes to you. And you prefer this brother, you prefer that sister over yourself. This, my beloved brothers, is what Iman is all about and sisters. This is what Islam is. This is Ukhuwa. Sometimes we face a superficial brotherhood or sisterhood. Sometimes we just face something that, ah, okay, you know, yeah, we feel for the people in this particular country, okay, we give. And that's it. But someone knocks on your door. And you can see the person is struggling. What do you do then? How far have we gone to spend in the way of Allah to create brotherhood? How many people have embraced Islam in front of our eyes? But we still just wash them away. How many of us in our masajid when we see someone maybe from a different color than ourselves, from a different race in the city from ourselves, then we tend not to sit with them. If you look at this verse, this is all lessons that we can take from it. This is about the third or the fourth companion that the Prophet ﷺ, he linked them up with someone in Medina. And they would share of their wealth, they would share of their homes. How far are we? We claim that we love the Anbiya. We claim that we love the Prophets. We claim that we love the Sahaba. But how far are we from the companions of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam? So this is how Islam engulfed the heart of Abu Ubaidah. And this is what he became accustomed to. And this is what he showed in return to others. He showed them love. He showed them brotherhood. If he was able to spend on him, this is what he would do. And Abu Ubaidah, he mobilized his entire life in the endeavor that this light becomes a piercing brilliance which will traverse and penetrate the wet and dry lands, the deserts and the wastelands, whose blessings will surround the world and everything upon it. This is a description of how a Muslim is supposed to be. And this was the likes of Abu Ubaidah. This was the likes of Talha. This was the likes of Fatima, of Aisha. This was the companions of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That when they walked into a society, into a community, they uplifted the community. They taught them how to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is of the greatest lights that any community can wish for is that they worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that they follow Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And at the beginning of our discussion, we spoke and we touched on why was Abu Ubaidah promised Jannah. And we will be looking at this in detail in the next few moments. What made him one of the people of Jannah? One of the key points of the personality of Abu Ubaidah is that he was extremely trustworthy. And yet trustworthy in this true sense. How many of us can say that we are indeed trustworthy? And trust, my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, it is not only something 
that if someone leaves a 50,000 rand with me or a 100,000 rand or a particular item that I will not take from it, I will not take the money, etc. This is one trust. But what about the trust of Islam? That Allah has entrusted this all of us with a deen. But how do we portray this deen? How do we live the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? This is a question that we should ask. We were entrusted with following the Quran and the Sunnah. But do we really follow the Quran and the Sunnah? We were entrusted about following the Quran and the Sunnah ala fahmi salaf. Upon the understanding of the salaf. Do we really follow the Quran and Sunnah on the understanding? We were told in the Quran. Atiyu Allah wa atiyu Rasul. That obey Allah and obey the Messenger. Do we follow Allah and do we obey Allah and do we obey the Messenger? This is part of trust. So when we speak about that Abu Ubaidah was trustworthy, it is not only that they could trust him with worldly tangible items, but he was trusted in the true sense of conveying this deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the most correct manner. Abu Ubaidah, he had a temperament eagerly yearning for goodness. So he was someone that would always want to involve himself in khair and good. And as soon as he came to learn about Islam and its call, he entered into this deen. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, Udekhulu fi silmi kafa. That enter into the deen of Allah wholeheartedly. And he entered the face hastily and he pledged his allegiance to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And when he did this, he understood clearly what these words meant. And he had the full capability of fulfilling its rights and requirements. And he sacrificed everything for the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. After he stretched his hand to pledge allegiance to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, only honesty is seen in his being and in his entire life. The honesty that Allah entrusted in his temperament to use in the path of Allah azza wa jal. Again, my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, we see that he had certain qualities before embracing Islam. He took these qualities and what does he do? He takes these qualities that he had and he brings it to Islam. He brings it into this deen that he entered. Sometimes we find people, mashallah, maybe not very good Muslims when they were at a young age, involved in all sorts of haram or na'udhu billah, etc., whatever it might be. And Allah grants them the hidayah, He guides them back to the straight path. And maybe they had one or two qualities. And these qualities should be nurtured back into the deen. And used like how they would use certain qualities in doing wrong. Or certain qualities in misbehavior. So now when you're back on the path, 
use those qualities, turn it around and make it useful back in the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah knows best. So Abu Ubaidah, he fulfilled the, cover, the covenant of Islam like the rest of the companions did. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he saw him in his personal conduct and life attitude worthy of a noble title. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he gifted Abu Ubaidah and he said, Aminu hadhi al-ummah Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. That the trustworthy individual of this ummah is Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. Rawahu al-Bukhari. Abu Ubaidah was known as the strong trustworthy individual amongst the companions. And this was due to the Prophet sallallahu announcement to the people of Najran. That I will indeed, I will send ma'akum al-qawiyyul amin. That indeed I will send, as the Prophet peace be upon him said, with you a strong trustworthy person. And we find that Imam al-Bukhari rahimallahu ta'ala he brings this narration in his Sahih on the authority of Anas ibn Malik, where he says, "Likulli ummatin amin, wa amin hadhi al-umma Abu Ubaida ibn Jarrah." That every nation has a trustworthy individual, and the trustworthy individual of this umma is Abu Ubaida ibn al-Jarrah. Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah taala. He also mentions on the authority of Hudayfa radiyallahu an, where he says that Al-Aqib and As-Sayyid, two ambassadors of Najran, they came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam to make mula'ana with him. One of them told his comrade, do not do so, for by Allah if he is really a prophet and he curses us, Neither we nor our progeny after us will ever be successful. Then they, right, or thus submitted, they said, We will give you whatever you ask us. Send with us a trustworthy man and do not send anyone with us besides someone that is trustworthy. The Prophet ﷺ, he said and he stated, that I will certainly send with you a trustworthy man, fulfilling its demand par excellence. I will give you the best of what I have. And this again shows us that when we have certain business deals, when we have certain discussions, and someone asks for us, then we should be giving our best. Not 80%, not 70%, but we should always be giving 100%. The Companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they raise their glances to see who it will be. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he shouted and he proclaimed, Stand up, O Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. He stood up in compliance and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said that this is the trustworthy individual of this ummah. Subhanallah. This is Islam, my beloved brothers. That when it enters the heart and it penetrates deep into its recesses, it changes the destiny of men and it makes them champions of events.
Yes, you might be remembered for being a good, good sportsman. You might be remembered for being a good cricket player, whatever it might be. But there comes a time when people will maybe not remember you. But when it comes to deen, when it comes to Islam and they entered Islam, and they did things for the sake of Allah Azza wa Jal, then it is through men and women like this that they become champions of events and of the deen of Allah. You will still sit in discussions where people speak about the luminaries of Islam. You've never met them. They were born 5, 6, 7, 800 years, 1,000 years, 1,400 years ago. But yet until today you speak of them as if you met them. You speak of them as if they sat in front of you. And this again shows us the beauty of knowing your history. Knowing where do we come from. And this is why the muhaddithun, the scholars of hadith, They've tried to preserve all the sayings of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the sayings of the companions, the sayings of the tabi'een, of the ulama of the past, so that we know how they lived and that we can emulate their lifestyle. Yes, things have obviously changed, things have evolved as time goes past, but the ethics and the manhaj and the methodology, this will always be there. And... The next point that I would like to look at is that the Arabs in general, they were known to stick firmly to their lineage, to their ancestry, and regarded it as a honor. So thus a man would feel honored due to his father and would boast about his lineage and pedigree. And this, my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, we find no difference in today's time as well. That people generally, they have a sense of love for their lineage. That we come from a particular village in India or Pakistan or wherever it might be. And they have a certain type of asabiya to this. Now, asabiya, it can be good to a certain extent in the sense of knowing your history. Okay, so I know where I came from, for example, and I'm just using India as an example because in our community, many of our people, they are from India or from Java, yani, or Indonesia or Malaysia, etc. But my family coming from India, so they would explain to us that from what particular village we are from and who your grandfather was and your great-grandfather was and there's nothing wrong with knowing your lineage. But once it becomes something that enters the heart, once it becomes something of making me walk with my chest out and making me walk with pride and kibber. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he explained what is kibber. Patrul haq wa ghamtun nas. That not following the truth, rejecting the truth, and looking down on people. So if my lineage of my where my ancestors came from 
makes me a proud human being, makes me that I am better than the next person because they came from a poorer background, then this becomes a problem with lineage. And this is what Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam warned us about. This is what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam warned us about that if these things enters the heart and you look down on other people before this, then you are on the road of destruction. But when Islam came, and this is a point for us to take note, that when Islam came, people only firmly held on their deen, and the honor had no connection with anything else besides it. If there was good in it, they would accept it. But if it went against Islam, they would reject it. And this we also learn from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, where he said, لا طاعة المخلوق إلى معصية الخالق That there is no obedience to the creation in disobedience of the creator. Sometimes the parents or sometimes family members will tell someone do not do this, do not do that because you are still young, why must you make salah? You know you have your whole life to make salah. Why must the sister wear hijab? You have your whole life, how are you going to get married? Ah, you know it's just a bit of music, it's fine, nothing much, you know we need to relax a bit. And things like this. So, if people tell you this, they know that there is no obedience to the creation in disobedience to the Creator. And Allah knows best. And to such an extent that people would keep Islam in such a high esteem, that even if they found themselves on a battlefield, and the Muslims on the one side, and the enemies of Islam is on the other side. And in those years they would have something which is, which is known as a duel. So one comes out and the other one comes out. And they start to fight. And as we will see a bit or in a moment, this exact thing happened between fathers and sons, between siblings. And Abu Ubaidah Al-Jarrah was no different in this type of situation. So Islam, it came and it changed the standard of distinction and glory. Maybe we were brought up with certain confused ideologies, some obscure methodologies. But when Islam came and we studied the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah blessed us. Allah opened our doors. وَإِن نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ لَا تُحْسُوهَا And if you were to count the favors and the bounties of Allah, you would not be able to count them. This is what Allah has granted us as a Muslim ummah. So Abu Ubaidah radiyallahu an, he is the grand hero. And he's a trustworthy individual as I mentioned. He's loved and he favored the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over anything else. During the battle of Badr, he met his father on the battlefield. His father being from the opposite side, from the, the kuffar, and Abu Ubaidah being from the Muslims. So in this battle of Badr, this was known as a decisive encounter. Had the Muslims lost the battle of Badr, 
This would have been a disaster for the Ummah. They were few in number. And Allah made it such that they became victorious. But it was also in this battle that ties of kingship broke. Fatherhood was demolished and sonhood had ceased. Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah he fought against Abdullah ibn Jarrah who was his father. So they went out in he went out in pursuit of his son who opposed him and followed Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He wanted to bring him to the ground and he wanted to finish him off. Abu Ubaidah on the other hand attempted to dodge his father over and over again because he felt there was no need for this. But he was unsuccessful. He was left no choice but to face his father and bring him to the ground. He cared not of a worldly bond. To him it was Islam and it was shirk. To him it was Islam and it was the opposite party. To him it was Hezbollah and Hezbollah shaitan. And even though they had a family link, Abu Ubaidah, he killed his own father on the day of Badr. Imam At-Tabarani, he mentions as well in his book, as well as Imam Al-Bayhaqi and Imam Al-Hakim, that the father of Abu Ubaidah, he began antagonizing Abu Ubaidah on the day of Badr, but the latter kept on avoiding the former. He tried to avoid his father. After he persisted, Abu Ubaidah went to him and they fought and he killed him. Upon this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, لا تجد قوما يؤمنون بالله واليوم الآخر يوادون من حاد الله ورسوله ولو كانوا آباءهم أو أبناءهم أو إخوانهم أو عشيرتهم أولئك كتب في قلوبهم الإيمان وأيدهم بروح من وَيُدْخِلُهُمْ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارِ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ وَرَضُوعًا أُولَئِكَ حِزْبُ اللَّهِ أَلَا إِنَّ حِزْبَ اللَّهِ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says that you would not find a people لَا تَجِدُ قَوْمًا يُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ that you won't find a people who believes in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they believe in the last day, that they would have affection to those who oppose Allah and His Messenger, even if they were their fathers or their sons. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala carries on, and He says that even the fathers or the sons, or as He says, brothers and family members, they were those who, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has written iman for them. And they are those who they will enter Jannah. And what is in this Jannah? In this Jannah you will find gardens, rivers flowing beneath it. They would abide in it forever. And they are pleased with Allah and Allah is pleased with them. And they are the party of Allah. They are Hezbollah. And know that the party of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are indeed the successful ones. So we find that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He explains in the Qur'an. 
That if you oppose Allah and you oppose His Messenger, even if it be fathers or sons or family members, and it's a time of war, etc., then they will oppose one another and Allah knows best. Abu Ubaidah, he embodied the love of deen and the love for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Abu Ubaidah, he would always want to sacrifice his life for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If one looks at the battle of Uhud, and one, you will find that he assisted during the battle of Uhud as well. During the battle of Uhud, after the situation spiraled out of control and the difficulties and hardships increased when the false rumor of the martyrdom of the Prophet ﷺ spread and a large number of Muslims fled and magnitudes of them were lost and perplexed in the thick of the battle amid the dust that had reached the sky on the fateful day. We see that Abu Ubaidah remained steadfast like a towering mountain. He never resented nor did he nor was he relent. Instead he continued fighting, he struggled, he contended, defended, attacked and circulated and his eyes were searching for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that no evil befalls the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As soon as he saw Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam who had been struck by a rock and two links of his helmet that pierced into his cheeks. He rushed in the direction of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he tried and he went through the enemy lines trying to stand and protect Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When he reached the messenger, peace be upon him. He protected the Prophet, peace be upon him. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, he explained this incident and we will find this incident in detail in Al-Bazzar, this book, where he says that when the people dispersed from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on the day of Uhud. Now remember, this is Abu Bakr radiallahu an. The greatest person to walk on the dunya after the demise or after the Anbiya alayhi salam. He is describing this. He says that when the people dispersed from around the messenger of Allah on the day of Uhud. I was the first to return to the messenger. And I saw a man marveling at a man fighting in front of him and he said that may this be Talha. And thereafter I looked and suddenly a man was just behind me advancing like a bird, meaning moving swiftly. And before I knew it, he caught up with me and this was Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. So Talha on the other hand, and we discussed this in detail when we discussed Talha, was found lying in front of him. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, take care of your brother for he is indeed been severely wounded. But when we left him and we went to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, two links had pierced in the face of the messenger. I intended to remove them, but Abu Ubaidah kept on asking me and requesting me, to allow him to do this. He removed one of the links by gripping it with his teeth firmly and pulling it out. As a result, one of his front teeth fell out. He kept on insisting and requesting me to allow him to take the other one out. He then placed his tooth on the link and clinched it. 
This likened to inconvenience the messenger. If it moves and he pulled it out, as a result another of his front teeth fell out. Abu Ubaidah was the most handsome man without front teeth after this. Imagine, he gave up his teeth. He was willing to give up his life for the sake of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and this deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah, my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, it is a point that I would like all of us to ponder on. Let us think for a moment. These men and women that surrounded the messenger of Allah, they would sacrifice their body parts, they would sacrifice their lives. Anything that in order to protect the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How does any person that claims to be a Muslim, he claims to be a believer, have any doubt in the iman of any of these companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? It does not make sense. It does not make sense to a level-headed human being that we have the messenger of Allah, Khatamul Anbiya, Rahmatul Lil'alamin, Khayrul Bashar, Wa Khayrul Anbiya, on the one hand. Then we have people surrounding him, protecting him, giving their lives for him. But then we have a problem with these people and we say, no, they didn't really protect him, etc., etc. Does not make sense. And we ask, <coughs> and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us the understanding, to make us of those who can understand and be just with regards to the companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In another report, Aisha radiallahu anha, she narrates that she heard her father saying the following, that on the day of Uhud, just after Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was struck in the face, resulted with two links of the helmet piercing his cheeks. And basically, I'm not going to read the whole narration because it is quite similar to the previous one with about one or two sentences just different, but nothing changing in the meaning. The reason why I brought this to show you that Abu Bakr radiallahu an, he even told the same narration to Aisha, which was his daughter. And the next point I would like to look at is that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he bears testimony that he loves Abu Ubaidah and that he guarantees him Jannah. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he announced it distinctly and publicly that he loves Abu Ubaidah. This in itself is something amazing. This is glad tidings. Imagine the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he says that he loves you. Ibn Hibban he narrates in his Sahih with his sanad from Sayyidina Amr ibn As, who said that it was asked, O Messenger of Allah, who is the most beloved person to you? He, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, Aisha. So he was asked again uh, from the men. He said, Abu Bakr. And then he said, and then who? He said, Umar. And we discussed this hadith before. And then he asked, and then who? He said, Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. So here the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is mentioning specifically. And this in itself would show us the greatness and the caliber of these people. Like how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Qadr, 
when he speaks about the malaika, he says, تَنَزَّلُ الْمَلَائِكَةِ وَالْرُوحِ To show you that Jibreel alayhi salam, yes, he's from the malaika, but he has a special makana in Allah. He has a special status, a special job. So like this, all the companions, radiyallahu anhum wa radu'an, they were all beloved to Allah and beloved to His Messenger. But certain ones of them, they stood out more than others and Allah knows best. Abu Ubaidah, he participated in all the major battles and expeditions and he inured in a marvelous manner. He made many attacks and he fought very fiercely in many of the battles, becoming victorious. Abu Ubaidah, he was not killed in a battle like many of the other companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Ibn Sa'd, he writes about Abu Ubaidah and he says that when he arrived in Medina and he participated in Badr, in Uhud, in Khandaq and all the other campaigns with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the messenger peace be upon him, he appointed him leader over a detachment of 300 of the Muhajirun and the Ansar to a tribe known as the tribe of Juhayna at the sea shore. This was known as Ghazawat al-Khabat. One of the expeditions he participated in during the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was also the expedition sent to Dhu al-Qissa in Rabi al-Akhir in the sixth year of Hijrah. So here Ibn Sa'ad he explains his expedition in his tabaqat. He says that the expedition of Abu Ubaidah to Dhu al-Qissa took place in the month of Rabi al-Akhir as I mentioned, six years after Hijrah. The lands of Abu Tha'laba and Anmar were struck by drought. Rain fell in Al-Mirad to Taghlabin and Al-Mirad is at a distance of 36 miles to or from Medina. The Banu Muharib Banu Tha'laba and Anmar they traveled to that rain. So these tribes they would go to leave the place that was drought and go to the place of rain. So they agreed that they will attack the pasture of Medina where animals were pastured at a place seven miles outside of Medina. So learning of this Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he sends Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah as a lead, leader of 40 Muslims after they performed Salatul Maghrib. They proceeded until they reached Dhu al-Qisa at the break of dawn. They attacked the enemy and constricted them to flee into the mountains. One of the men were taken captive who embraced Islam and was released. Abu Ubaidah, he took some of the camels and he drove them as owners of their possessions to Medina. The Prophet wasallam he took a fifth of the spoils and he distributed the rest to the warriors. Another expedition that he participated in was the Ghazawad that al Salasi. Imam al-Bayhaqi he mentions this in his book and he says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he sent Amr ibn As to call the Arabs to Islam. This was due to the fact that the mother of As ibn Wa'il hailed from Bali. <coughs> so Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam he sent him to them using this as a draw card. 
when he reached the water of the land of Judah called As-Salasil and that is why the expedition is called that As-Salasil he feared so he went he sent word to the messenger asking for reinforcements the prophet peace be upon him he sent Abu Ubaidah towards them as a leader of the early Muhajirun and the likes of Abu Bakr and Umar as well Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam <coughs> instructed Abu Ubaidah when he dispatched him do not dispute so Abu Ubaidah journeyed until he reached him Amr said to him you only came as my reinforcement Abu Ubaidah responded no rather I am a leader of my detachment and you are leader of those with you Abu Ubaidah was a lenient and soft individual to whom matters of the world were insignificant so Amr said to him instead you are my reinforcement Abu Ubaidah told him Amr indeed the messenger ordered us not to dispute and if you have to disobey me I will still obey you so Amr said to him so I am leader over you and you are only my reinforcement Abu Ubaidah said take it so Amr led the people in Salah sometimes one will find that in life both are correct and you just need to step back and let the other person carry on and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best so with regards to his jihad during the khilafah of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq and Umar al-Farooq he participated in the battle of Yarmouk and he was the commander in the chief of that army Abu Ubaidah he also conquered Damascus and Baytul Maqdis was in those armies as well his campaigns and conquests were successful and very successive in all these he was either the army general playing his part or a warrior in the ranks of the Muslims under another general and his, inter- his anticipation was to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Abu Ubaidah is left a lot of examples and a lot of admiral examples and sterling legacy he's someone that taught us that we need to obey Allah Azza wa Jal. He's someone that taught us that we need to follow Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's teachings. Abu Ubaidah was an extremely generous person. And we find that they describe him. Or we find that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, Inna. لَنَنْصُرُ رُسُلَنَا وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَيَوْمَ يَقُومُ الْأَشْهَادِ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He says that when he speaks about Abu Ubaidah and we find that we can use certain verses as this embodies who Abu Ubaidah was and who the companions of Allah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was and we find that Abu Ubaidah radiyallahu an he was someone that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed with great qualities qualities that we as Muslims can learn from Qualities that we should ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to inculcate in our lives. One day Umar ibn Khattab 
as the Amir, he sends 4,400 gold coins to Abu Ubaidah. And he says to the messenger that he sends the money with, with or the coins with, see what Abu Ubaidah is going to do with this. On receiving this, he distributes all of it. He does not keep a cent. So this shows us that the world meant nothing to Abu Ubaidah radiallahu The demise of Abu Ubaidah radiallahu So after a life filled with obedience, iman, honesty and sacrifice, Abu Ubaidah, he passed away. He passed away during the plague of Amwas in the year 18 after Hijrah. During the Khilafah of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu he was 58 years old at the time of his demise. His grave is in Amwas, which is part of Ramla, four miles away from the precincts of Baytul Maqdis. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to remove us as well from the pandemic that we face ourselves in, in this year. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us sabr, and to grant us the understanding, like how the companions of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, how they handled the plague of Amwas. And with this, it brings us to the end of our discussion today on the life of Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. May Allah be pleased with him and all the companions of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Next week, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala, we will be looking at Abdul Rahman ibn Auf the companion of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide and protect us. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive our shortcomings. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us a good life, a successful life, and that he removes all the difficulties that we are facing. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik ashadu wa la ilaha illa astawfiruka wa atubu ilayk.